The book of Psalm, chapter number 78. Please look, if you will, beginning at verse number 1. I'd like to read several verses here. Psalm chapter 78, verse number 1. The Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as in heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, that the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Oh, poor Israelites. But I'm here to say to poor people in churches today who act just like this. We say about the Israelites, oh, boy, if they had just trusted God more. You know, all too often, we don't trust God when we're going through difficult circumstances. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the music already, the fellowship, the testimonies. My heart's been overjoyed already. And I long, Father, in this moment to be able to share these truths that you placed in my heart. Oh, a couple weeks ago, you just impressed upon me about this passage of Scripture, and I pray, Father, that you would help me to stand behind the cross. May I simply deliver thy word, 
I care not to give my opinion, my thoughts, but Lord, I want the word of God to flow through me. Speak to each one that is here today. Touch the heart and may decisions be made according to what we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe the book of Psalms to be one of the most beautiful books in all the Bible. It's a precious book. It's a powerful book. It's a book where all of us can find comfort when we're going through troubles. And this Psalm 78 is actually a very beautiful psalm found in this book of comfort. If I could give you just a little bit about this wonderful psalm, it's really the second longest chapter in the whole book, right behind Psalm chapter 119. It is a historical psalm. In fact, there are four psalms of the 150 that we would call historical. Chapter 3, or chapter 105, 106, and 135. And these chapters record for us the past events of Israel. But it's also a psalm, 78 here, is written by a man known as Asaph. Now, I could throw out the name Asaph to you, and you go, oh, that's good. Asaph wrote Psalm 78. But you read about Asaph in the Old Testament. Asaph was very important in the reign of David. Asaph was a a man who knew some instrumentation. He played the cymbals. He was involved in the chorus. And literally, he was the music director for King David out of all Israel. And you look through the Psalms, and many times there are Psalms that you see that are attributed to Asaph. That's a song that he wrote. And I wish I could hear the music. Maybe someday in heaven we'll hear that music that he composed. But you know, Asaph wrote this psalm at a very interesting time in the life of Israel. It is believed that when this psalm was put together, it was at a time when David was just getting ready to establish the throne in Jerusalem. David is consolidating all of the tribes together and those tribes that have been scattered all the way through. And David is now, after seven years of already reigning, Saul's been gone that period of time, and he's now consolidating, and he's moving the capital of all of Israel from Shiloh there in Ephraim, just a little north, and he's bringing it right down to Jerusalem. Now, you and I wouldn't think any big deal of that. we think, all right, David's moving the capital. He's consolidating things a little bit better. But you have to understand the day that they lived in this time. This was a time when the tribes were very scattered. Every tribe had their own uh, set of regulations and certain things that they did. And David was trying to bring things together, a very tall task for a king. But also the enemy, the greatest enemy at that time to the Israelites was the Philistines. And because Israel was a little bit more scattered abroad, it was very easy for the Philistines to get in and amongst the people and to attack them and keep the people separated. David is consolidating this rule and bringing things together to Jerusalem. And Asaph is writing this psalm to the children of Israel to let them know that you may be in some hard times, but there is a God that you can trust And there are things that God has done in our past. God has brought us out of Egypt. God has brought us into the promised land. And therefore, if God has done that, he can do what seems difficult before us. 
So here's Psalm 78, a psalm written by Asaph, a historical psalm, but it is a very particular psalm. Some of you may have in your Bible, right above verse number 1, it gives a little description of this psalm. There are particular psalms in the Bible, and in fact, if you have this written here, right in my Bible under Psalm 78, it says, Maskil of Asaph. Now again, you say, some of us read through that and we go, oh, that's nice. Somebody just kind of scribbled that in the Word of God. Well, it was something that was put in to help describe what this psalm was. So what is a maskil? What is this superscription? Well, literally, the word maskil means a song that is written for reflection or contemplation. A psalm that is written for reflection or contemplation. So now, let me take that idea and just briefly walk through Psalm 78 with you. And then we're going to get in, I'm going to give a couple of things that will help you understand the psalm better and help us in our Christian life. And hopefully every one of us will reflect or contemplate on what God can do in our lives. Psalm 78, the first eight verses that we read are literally the introduction and they show us the very reason that Asaph had written this psalm. Then you jump down to verse number 9, and all the way to verse 41, Asaph begins to recount the great miracles that God had performed in the wilderness. If you've read your Bible and you've gone through the book of Exodus, oh my, the miracles are astounding of what God did while they traveled those 40 years. But then you come to verse 42. In the next 11 verses, Asaph goes on to what we commonly refer to as the 10 plagues, and he describes God's goodness in bringing the people out of Egypt and performing those great miracles there in that land of darkness. Then in verse 53, on to verse 66, Asaph rehearses the early days that they are in the promised land. And then the last several verses from verse 67 to 72 tell of the removal of the Ark of Zion down from Shiloh, there in Ephraim, all the way down to Jerusalem in Judea. Now the question has to be asked, why this psalm of reflection? Why is Asaph giving this as a masculine for us to contemplate and reflect upon? Because I want you to know that Aside from whatever you may be facing, Israel throughout its history had a hard time trusting God. If you've read through your Bible, one of the great overriding themes is this, that Israel all through their journeys didn't show faith in God, didn't trust God when they should have. In fact, let me just point out a couple of things for you by way of observation. Look at verse number 9 of this Psalm 78. The Bible says, The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, notice the next two words here, turned back in the day of battle. Well, they had what was needed, but they didn't think for whatever reason looking out about them that they had what was necessary to overcome the difficulty and they turned back from God. 
Look at verse number 41. Look what it says here. The Bible says, Yea, after he described some things that God had done, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited. Now, it's amazing here that you and I, the great omnipotent God, the all-powerful God, that we can limit him. But I'm telling you, when Israel turned their back on God and said, no, we can't do it, you know what they're saying? God, we're going to just tie your hands. They limited God. Now, notice, if you will, verse 56 and 57. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back. Now, have I summarized for you here Israel's history? You know what? You can take into two words. They've turned back. They turned back. They turned back. When they saw what God had done, and when they looked ahead at the road that they were to travel, they decided, we're not going that way because it's too hard, and we don't think God can do all this. You know, I look at these words, can God, and I really come back to a question that is asked. In fact, the title of the sermon is two simple words found in verse number 19. Would you look at that verse, please? The Bible says here, yea, they spake against God. Now, how so? Well, all the miracles that God had done here, he had divided the sea, verse 13. He led them by a cloud in the daytime. At night, he led them by a light of fire. He split the rocks where the water came out. In fact, it came out not just in little trickles, but it came out like a river. And that water gushed forth for them. And yet the Bible says that they sinned yet more against him, verse 17. They provoked him. They tempted him by asking for things for their lust. And then verse 19, here's a question. They spake against God and they said, look at this. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Imagine that. Can God? After everything God has already done, they've never seen any of that before. They had never heard of any of those type of things, and yet God had worked so miraculously, and yet they come into the wilderness and they say to themselves, can God? When I think of this question, I have to answer it in one of two ways. I have to either say, yeah, God can't do it, or God can do it. And my friend, I want to talk to you today from this psalm and apply some things to our life, and I want to say that God can. If I ask the question, can God, would you answer it by saying God can? You ready? Here we go. We're going to do a little exercise. Can God? God That's fair. Let me try that one more time. Ready? Can God? God can. Sure he can. Well, let's see how God can. Well, first of all, I want you to notice God can despite our limitations. Think about that. God can despite our limitations. Now, look at the dilemma that the Israelites find themselves when they're asking this question, can God? They're specifically asking if God can furnish a table. Now imagine, they they got in their mind, and wrongly they're assessing. They're thinking back in Israel, oh my, we had all this delicious meat and all these things. My friend, they were slaves in Egypt. 
I mean, the fact that they got all the jewels and necklaces from the Egyptians was God's working. But while they were in Egypt, they didn't have things lavishly. And so here they're they're searching out in the wilderness, can God, could he set a large table for all of us and put out all this meat and, and, and a beautiful spread for us to fill ourselves? Can God do that? Now, you and I read this passage of Scripture and we go, oh, poor Israelites. These poor people asking God in the wilderness, well, before you start criticizing the Israelites, let me remind you of something. You've got the whole scripture, and you know the end of the story. They didn't. They're living it. They're coming into the wilderness not knowing whether God can, and therefore they ask the question, can God? Now, I know you and I think to ourselves in this culture day that we live in, well, they should have shopped at Publix or gone to the Walmart Supercenter. Or they should have looked around the corner. There was canned veggies and there was packaged meat for them. My friend, there was none of that. And to think about this, that the Bible records for us that the Israelites who came out of Egypt numbered, now listen to this, there were 600,000 fighting men. So now that's that's the men that are able to go to war. There were those who were older. There were those who were younger, who were not capable of war. But it has been estimated that probably at least 2 million people are traveling in the wilderness. Children, wives, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, you name it, they're all there, at least 2 million. Now do you get the picture of them asking the question? Imagine now in the wilderness. Again, it's not like there's a garden planted over here. It's a dry desert. It's not like there's a supermarket on the left side. It's not like there's something that they can grab to. They're in a place where it is barren. And they come before God and say, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I want to remind you here today that when it comes to these miracles that God has performed, I believe every one of them. Every miracle I believe. Now, I may not be able to explain it, I may not fully understand it, but I'm here to mark it down before you today that John Boucher believes every miracle that is recorded in the Bible. God did it. But yet sometimes in our lives, we go through our difficulties and we say, can God do this for me? We got a strong habit in our lives that seems to take the better of us. And we succumb as a victim to the problems of this life, and we often throw up to God, God, you can't do this. I'm here to tell you, God can. Some of you are here today in a, a strained relationship. It could be a marriage. It could be some other relationship that you have, and it's really strained. And you wonder, can God really work things out? Can God make that person any better? Can God help that? I'm here to remind you, God can. Yes. Some of you are here today, and you say, well, I, I don't know whether God can help me because I just found out there's some sickness that I have, or some relative has uh, just found out they have cancer, and I don't know what God can do. I'm here to remind you, God can. 
Name whatever circumstances you're going through. Name whatever trial and trouble that is facing you right now. And it seems that this is looming so large before you. My God is stronger than all that. And God can overcome every difficulty. Oh, those Israelites, I felt bad for them as I read that this week. But I have to remind myself that probably if I was there, little John Boucher would be going, can God? And I'm telling you, the things that we have that are around us are our limitations. You and I are weak before everything in this world. We have no strength. We have no power. And some of you today that have been uh, hurt badly by this storm and you're wondering what's going to be ahead for me, I'm here to tell you that as you take a day at a time and you trust in God, God will get you through. He'll help you. So can God? God can. So God can despite our limitations, but I want you to notice something else from this chapter. God can because he has proven that he can. Think about that. Look at, the the reason this is a historical chapter is because at least 80 different times, you know what Asaph does in this chapter? He tells us something great that God did. God performed something here. God did something here. God did something here. And all of those are reminders for us that truly God can. Let's just review a couple for just a moment. I want you to notice in verse number 13, look at this. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand up as an heap. Now, interesting story. And I know we call them stories all too often, but I'm here to tell you that these are things that God literally did do. Picture with me, if you will, these two million Jews that have come out of Egypt. And God has led them through a particular way, and God knew the way that he wanted to lead them. And God brought them to the place to where they had the sea in front of them. On one side was the wilderness. On the other side was, were the mountains. And God began to stir up Pharaoh and the Egyptians to follow after Israel. So now not only are they trapped in front on one side and the other, but as they look behind the Egyptians. What would you do if you felt trapped on all four sides? You'd start looking up to God. God, what are you going to do? I want to tell you, God began to work. As these Israelites, as they demonstrated there in Acts chapter 14, their fear... As they began to uh, uh, say to Moses, why did you lead us out here? Did you lead us out here just so we could be killed and die in the wilderness? No. God began to do work. And in fact, I think in reading the chapter, I was looking at this again this morning, almost Moses is kind of reticent as to what's going to happen. Because God says, quit crying out to me. I want you to do something. Raise that rod. Now, What was that rod? 
That was something that God had given to him, and he used it, and there were some miracles that were done. But it wasn't the rod that was to save them. That was just a stick that God gave in his hand. But it was the power of God that was upon Moses to raise that rod, and God was going to do something miraculous that all the Israelites were going to go, imagine. Imagine now, as Moses raises that rod, and this wind comes in, and the waters begin to separate, and they begin to form walls on either side. And not only the walls are formed of these waters, there's a path that is there, and as they step on, it's not gushy. It's hard, dry ground. Now you say to yourself, preacher, I, I just, I don't know about all this stuff. That's your problem. That's your problem. You see, the reason you don't see God doing things in your life is because you go, nah, that's too difficult. God can't do that. And you just throw your hands up and you just kind of go about your own little business and try to take care of things in your own power. But I'm telling you, if you're going to see God raise the waters up and allow you to walk through on dry land, you've got to go ahead and take a step forward. You've got to trust God. And here it is. As they walk through in that dry land, I think still with fear and trepidation, not knowing, are these waters going to close in on us? The Egyptians are going to be following us. They're turning around. And God did something. He took that cloud that led them and he put it behind them. The angel of the Lord went behind them to basically shield their sight so they could look forward and go where God directed them. I love it. Years ago, it's sad that there's a lot of churches that don't preach and talk about the miracles in the Bible. There were religious leaders years ago that said, oh, you know, God didn't really perform this miracle. There was just a a little bit of water, and God just somehow separated that water for the Israelites to pass through. And I love what one preacher said. He said, praise God. He said he took those six inches of water and he parted it for the Israelites to pass through, but he allowed six inches of water to drown all those Egyptians. Isn't that good? I'm telling you what, God does miracles. And he performs, and God can because he's shown that he can. Now here's something else interesting. Look at verse number 24. Look at this next miracle that is given here in verse number 24. The Bible talks about here that he rained down manna from heaven. Look at this. And had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels food he sent them meat to the full now think about that to the full and he describes it as that which is suitable for the angels to eat some to me it seems like something delicious how interesting it is that one month after they come through on dry land. 
They come through on the other side. Exodus 15 records this great song that Moses' sister recorded. And all of Israel sang out their praises to God. Look at how he delivered us. And I can imagine them in this church setting, their praise service, lifting their hands, giving their voices and shouting praises to God. But one month later, they're like, we're hungry. I can't believe God's led us out here. God's never helped us in any way. 30 days later, they're complaining. And God says, I'm going to supply for you. And how beautiful it is that he begins to supply. Dropping down from heaven is something that as they picked it up, I love the question. The word manna means what is this? What is this? As they began to eat it, the Bible describes in the book of Exodus, it was like coriander seed. It was white and it tasted like honey. There's a place that I would visit. It's kind of out of the way going down to the Keys. It was in Marathon area and it was called Castaways and they had some of the greatest honey biscuits I've ever had. I would come in, I'd say, where's the manna? Where's the manna? I'm telling you, these Israelites were able to receive this, and what a miracle God performed. God gave just enough for them to pick up. Now you think to yourself, well, all this food is going to stink. No, no. When the sun came up, whatever they didn't get, it would melt away. And guess what? The next day, God would provide again. On Tuesday, God would provide again. On Wednesday, God would provide again. On Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, God would have provided the day before enough for Friday and for Saturday because this was a Sabbath day, a day of rest. And God miraculously provided. Now, I could take the rest of the hour and go through Psalm 78 of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle of what God has done. But I'm here to tell you, if you ask this question, can God? God I want you to know God can because he's already done it in your life. He's already done it. Would you rehearse for me in your mind what God's already done for you? I'm telling you, if you just take a few moments and think, you can start coming up with some things that God has done that is miraculous. Now you say, well, it's not as miraculous as manna dropping from heaven. Okay. But can I say to you that if you're saved here today, that is one of the greatest miracles in all the world? Greater than, than, than the crossing of the Red Sea. Greater than manna coming down. Greater than quail flying through the air and, and the Israelites being able to grab that. God has done great things for you and I. And how imperative it is for us to think about the beauty of the miracles of God providing for us. But I want you to note that God can, despite our limitations, God can... Because he's proven he has done so before. But God can ought to be spoken to the next generation. Look back at the introductory verses, verses 1 through 8, for just a moment. And I want you to notice why this psalm is referred to as a masculine psalm. Because Asaph gives us his intentions of writing this right off the bat. Look at verse number 1. He's asking his audience to listen very intently. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. 
incline. This is not just sit there like, no offense, but some of you, I can tell how you listen. As a preacher, having been up here numbers of times, I can tell those that are intent on listening and those that are not. You want to know later whether you are, you come and ask me afterwards. All right, I'll tell you. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just trying to wake you up a little bit right now, okay? But what Asaph is saying is, lean forward. Give me your ears. Listen not just with your ears, but with your heart, what I have for you. So here he tells them then, here's what they're to listen to. Verse number two, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, wait a minute. This doesn't seem, Psalm 78, to be a parable like we know. Jesus taught in parables. In fact, there's at least 30 parables in the Gospels that Jesus gave. A parable has often been defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But Psalm 78 doesn't seem like a parable like Jesus gave. But I want you to know that if you listen to this verse, Matthew chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said that he spoke to them under parables. And as you read the rest of the chapter, here's why Jesus spoke in parables. Because for those who really wanted to know the truth, they were going to dig it out. But for those who could have cared less, it just went in one ear and out the other. And what Asaph is saying is, I'm, I'm going to write something in the parable. I'm going to write something here that is going to cause you to think and to dig deep and to contemplate what I have. And I want you to look for it. In fact, he uses the word dark sayings. There might be another word that is used here of riddles. It's not necessarily as a joke that is used, but it is a riddle here is a, a statement or a saying that has, is perplexing and causes a person to dig the deep meaning. Asaph is telling his audience here, listen, I'm going to give you some perplexing statements. I'm going to speak in dark sayings. And if you desire to think about this and ponder it, you'll get its meaning. It will help your life. Could I say this goes on every Sunday? There are people here today who hear God's word and they walk out and they go, I don't get what that preacher was talking about. I have no clue what that preacher was saying. You know why? Because you're not intent on hearing from God. If you're intent on hearing from God, you're going to listen to what the preacher, whoever it is that stands here behind this pulpit and delivers the word of God, you're going to listen and grab it and say, how can that apply to my life? How can I use that? And oh, Asaph is grabbing his audience here. And what is this parable? Well, he's telling his audience here, there's some things that you've got to grab hold of and you've got to pass on to the next generation. He said, we've heard of these things. We shouldn't hide them. That is, keep them away from the next generation. And who's the next generation? Well, look at the children that are in your family. Those that are young, that are still dependent upon you, those are ones that we need to pass on these wonderful truths and miracles that God has done. But I'm here to tell you that there are many of the next spiritual generation. Some of you are here today and you're newly saved. You know what those of us who have been saved for a while, we need to pass on to you what God truly can do. 
Because many of you that are newly saved right now are wondering in your heart, you know what? I, I accepted Christ as my Savior, but boy, I got this difficulty and that difficulty and this difficulty, and I don't know if this Christianity business is all it's cracked up to be. I'm here to remind you, God can. And we ought to tell the next generation. We are to pass on, verse number five, the very works of God. I wish I could go through this. Three phrases that are given here. The praises of the Lord. That is, things that are worthy here and deserving of our praise. We are to pass on His strength. These are the things that demonstrate the mighty power of God. And then the wonderful works. The word wonderful has this idea of that which is extraordinary and surpassing. You and I ought to share the things that God has done that has left us awestruck. And that we're just with our mouths dropped down and saying, wow, God did that. Those are the things we ought to pass on. But we ought to also pass on, verses 6 and 7, is the Word of God. So we're passing the works of God, what God has done, and we're passing on the Word of God, what God has said. Could I ask you a question here? Have you been saved for some time? Are you passing on those beautiful testimonies of what God has done? Are you passing on the Word of God and helping people understand the law and the testimonies of God? It is your duty to do that. And Asaph is saying, I want you to listen to me. The reason why our fathers rebelled and didn't follow God is because they turned their back. They didn't think God, and I want to change the next generation. I don't want you to get into Jerusalem as David is establishing the throne there and say, well, I don't think God can do things. I want to help the next generation. So he's saying, listen and pass it on. Listen and pass it on. Listen and tell the stories of what God has done in your life. My friend, I'm telling you, God has done some amazing things here at Calvary Baptist Church. I have no doubt in my mind, when I came here six and a half years ago, that this was a special place. In 1969, God had moved upon a man by the name of, last name of Thompson, was pastoring a small church in El Jobin, and Wally Metz, who was a church planner, and they began a week of meetings in 1969 in February, and out of that was birthed Calvary Baptist Church. It was sometime after that, they purchased this property, and I'm telling you, God did miraculous things through this church. And I can't tell you all of the history and all of the things that have gone on, though there have been many things, but I can tell you since I have been here, I can testify truly that God has done some wonderful miracles. And it is important that you and I all understand what God has done and what he can do. A couple years ago, I, you know, I feel like it's hard to get momentum with church. We're just starting to get momentum, and then this hurricane comes through by the name of Ian. <laughs> Sorry, brother. But a couple years before that, in March, we entered something called COVID, a word now that we've used probably almost every week of our life. And I remember thinking to myself, without having church for seven weeks as a preacher, and the deacons were kind of with me on this, 
I have nobody to preach to, but what are we going to do as far as offering? You say, Pastor, was that a worry? Sure. It was almost my can God question. Can God provide for us? I mean, when you don't pass a plate before Baptist people, you're in trouble. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. And there was a concern amongst all of us as to what God would do. But I'm telling you that as far as I can tell in the history of this church, at least in the time that I've been here, that 2020 up to that point was the best year financially we ever had. You know what God did? God said, I know you're asking if I can provide for you, but I'm going to show you that I truly can. And as we saw over and over the offerings coming in, God was provide people driving up, bringing their offerings in. I love that. God provided. Now, is it all about money? No, it's not all about money. I rarely try to talk about money because money is not the important thing. But we, we, we must live. We must go on. And God needs to impress upon every one of you to support the local church so we can do the things that God has called us to, called us to do. But I'm here to testify that at every juncture when I didn't think God could provide, God came through. Amen. He came through. In fact, there's been times when we've raised our budget significantly, and I thought, oh, my, they're going to fire me, you know. They're just going to, I'm not sure. And I meet with a man, and we go through it, and we begin to walk through the whole budget, and yes, this is needed, and yes, this has to be done, and yes, these things need to be accomplished. And then we come through, and we present the budget. The church votes on it, and then we start wondering, can God And I'm here to tell you that every year, God has met our needs. Now, it's not like he's come in way above and said, all right, I'm going to do But you know what he's done? He's just simply met our needs. God provides. In your life, you need to think about what God has done. How has God provided for you? How has God shown himself strong? What are the praises that you can give to those that are around you? I want to just in conclusion give you three simple words. I'm going to throw these out here. How can Psalm 78 be applied to me? Let me give you these three words back to back. Ready? First of all, trust. Number two, think. Number three, tell. Now, if you could take those three words... And use them today, this week, you'd help yourself in this beautiful Thanksgiving week. Trust. I know we all ask, can God? I want you to do me a favor. Start taking that foot and stepping forward under the dry land. Start picking up that manna that you may not know what it is and trusting that God will provide to the full. Trust God. Think about what he's done. Meditate on it. You know, we live life all too often and we seem to just kind of forget, well, that was in the past. My friend, what helps you today and what helps you tomorrow is as you reflect upon what God has already done. That's why Psalm 78 is written. But then don't keep it to yourself. 
You're not to be an island. You know what I love is on when I come into church and I can hear people sharing Scripture, and sharing stories about what God has done. Tonight at our service here at 6 o'clock, we'll have an opportunity for you to share of what God has done in your life. And you know what those stories do? They strengthen God's people. Trust the Lord. Think about what He's done. And tell others about that.